Where were you in 1972? The October 2022 issue of the DAC News explored life in and around our club as it was 50 years ago. Familiar in some ways, but crazy different in others. It's a fascinating comparison, and we couldn't let it go without taking another look. Hi, I'm Kim Solarski. This is a special companion presentation of Heard in the Lobby, the podcast of the Detroit Athletic Club. We will revisit 1972 through the memories of our members in just a moment. Well, good morning, world, and a uh, very pleasant Monday to you. It's an unseasonably hot spring morning in 1972. Inbound rush hour traffic on I-75 and on 94 is delaying some DAC members who want to hit the club before their downtown workday begins. Safely off the freeway, it's time to park. Oh, the old parking garage was there. Um, we did a lot of the parking in the front, which was written about in the paper, in the, particularly in the free press, about once a year. That's Tim McCarthy. He was working at Ford and attending Walsh College in 1972. Uh, we would double and triple park in, at the front door. Randy was the, the main guy out there that parked cars and valeted. The parking garage was there and also where we now have in the back behind the building that tent and that meeting area i forget what they call that area now but that was a parking lot then it's in through the revolving door on madison street good morning welcome to the dac in those days they had to wear a coat and tie and the doorman, as I think you pointed out, was the name Howard Wikerson, who had been here since 1919. Fritz Dam was a law student in Detroit in 1972. Prior to his wedding in July of that year, he and his best man practically lived at the DAC amid the prenuptial preparations. You come in the front door, because women, only men only on Madison, but what there was was a board up there with every member's name and so what he would do is he'd push your name tag over and that would show you were in the club and he was also would make make me so mad because he would ask my name and eventually but he was memorizing everybody's names oh howard and he he was here whatever the record showed he was here a powerful long time he was a probably small guy but he ran that door and he knew everybody Howard's old-school manners impressed even a club full of folks with old-school manners. In 1972, Stuart Dow is a married father of two, working at Merrill Lynch, living in Gross Point, and driving his Chrysler to the DAC four or five times a week. Oh, everybody knew Howard. You know, he was just a, like the British gentleman. You know, he was right, something like, right out of, you know, the British magazine Punch and Judy or something out of the New Yorker. Just a wonderful guy. Knew everybody's names he was amazing that way and, and poor guy he was the guy that uh, you know had to uh, turn away women at the front door but he did it in a very nice way 
Members' wives, there were no female members yet, nor any black members, had a separate entrance. Don Lindo's wife, Erica, was not pleased. Erica was an executive at National Bank of Detroit as well. And it always frosted her. She could not come in the front door. It just really, I mean, she'll still tell the story that she was, I mean, marched through the door and I said, well, now with your father-in-law being high up the ladder here, but she resented that she had to come in the side door. Women were not, oh yeah, here it is. Spouses and female guests were not allowed to use a medicine entrance. Only enter from the side door, which where the atrium is now, yeah. So that was kind of a, of an interesting time. In 1972, the Lindos were newly married. They'd had their rehearsal dinner in the Randolph Rooms at the DAC, where executive chef Milos Sehelka had prepared a duck entree, one of his specialties. Well, I don't know, my mother was a good cook, so as a little boy, I like like to help her around the kitchen, so I guess I got some natural affinity for it. In 1972, Milos Sehelka was the DAC's executive chef food and beverage director and assistant manager of the entire club. He was a native of Czechoslovakia who emigrated to the U.S. in the 1950s and eventually became an executive chef at the Rooster Tail and the London Chop House. He found his greatest fame leading the Golden Mushroom after leaving the DAC. But while he was here, he entertained members' palates with beef and burgundy dinners, New England shore dinners, Pablo Island picnics, and even the Abbey Buffet. Don Lindo is a legacy. His dad was DAC president in 1984, and Don himself joined in 1966. My father said, hey, they have a junior membership. You ought to take advantage of it. And so I started coming down, and and Joe Krynock, who was the squash pro, started giving me squash lessons. So it was kind of neat because... The squash courts were in a, you had to take a series of hallways on the third floor to find them in the back of what is now uh, the exercise, the fitness, the fitness area. Mm-hmm. And then there were a couple of courts up on the roof, which were always cold in the wintertime, but they were, again, kind of unique. Dad and I, we played squash, but he was, he kind of let me do my own thing. And, and Hager, you mentioned Hager, Hagerty was one of my sponsors uh, when I joined the club. He and Steve Horn. When I joined the club, I didn't. I had never played squash. I was a tennis player in high school and college. George Haggerty had joined the club in 1965 at his father's recommendation after completing his MBA at the University of Michigan. Uh, my dear friend Steve Horn, who also was an MBA from Michigan, preceded me in, into business at Arthur Anderson and Company, which I also joined. And I think we both joined the DAC in that same fall we spent the next 20, 25 years beating each other's brains out in the squash courts here. Uh, we'd come down here almost every Sunday and play squash. Spent many years here, had wonderful relationships with Steve and with Rex Aubrey, our esteemed athletic director. Uh, Rex, on the other hand, had his office on the pool deck and Rex was a smoker. This great athlete, we all wondered how, and he continued to swim laps and stuff like this. We continued to wonder how he did it. You ever, you always knew when Rex was around, there was a period of time when I was swimming quite a bit, and I would know when he would come out of the office because the door would open and the scent would come out and he'd walk along the pool and you know, you could, 
smell him as he was going by. Smoking was very much allowed inside the DAC. The cigar stand was centrally located near the Madison entrance. It was a standard feature of a gentleman's club of that era. Another pivotal location, the men's locker room. Here's Stuart Dow. The locker room was a fun place to be. A lot of characters. John Green was one of the, the great DAC members, board of director member, and uh, Charlie Bigelow. There was just a lot of great personalities that would mm. hang out there. And we used to call the uh, locker room the Rodney Dangerfield room. Nobody got any respect. We were always <laughs> kidding each other about this and that. Like Almost like being back in college when you were in the locker room and playing sports and competing with everybody. Frank Moran was quiet and inimitable presence. He used to play badminton against two very good badminton players. He'd play one-on-two and win. Jim Bieri was a law school student and a newlywed in 1972, driving his wife's 71 Duster and living near Henry Ford Hospital. He chose DAC membership over the businessman's club at the nearby YMCA because fees were slightly less expensive. I remember I used to play handball in Belle Isle, and we used to come in through the back door and go through the kitchen because there was no athlete's entrance. You know, it was all coat and tie the first floor. You didn't dare go into place. That's why you had, you know, unless you were dressed properly. There was no place to buy any DAC gear. I mean, you know, we had stuff that they were selling, but it was a locker room. That was it. And I don't think the lady even had it for sale. Case was the only masseur. He was a former Olympian trainer for somebody and he's a gentleman, but he basically gave you a rub down, you know, but that was it. That was the only guy there. We had sleeping rooms uh, with tanning beds. Jim Bieri has fond memories of the live entertainment featured on a regular basis. Vocalists, comics, groups of national stature, often booked through Detroit's Gale and Rice Entertainment Agency. Al Rice was, of course, a member. The Beavers, too, attracted national names. In 1972, they included Olympic gold medalist Jesse Owens, pro golfer Lee Trevino, syndicated advice columnist Ann Landers, and at their annual formal, noted exotic dancer Little Egypt. But not all the nightlife was as glamorous. Here's Fritz Dam. Oh, that was that was a nighttime activity. But that would be any time where people would play handball, it's a nice case swim, and then that's where you went for a beer on the way home. And, and again, it was it, it's, that has changed, and I haven't spent much time in there, but probably if you average the amount of time that I spent there back in the day, it was enough or more. Everybody's spouse knew where they were. There were all kinds of things to do. Stuart Dowd. The, well, just the DAC had the standard stuff you'd expect in a classy club, as I said, with the billiards, place to go play cards, or backgammon. You know, that's just what, quote, a gentleman's club was expected to offer. But the real activity was in the uh, third and fourth floor and then in the bowling alley. In 72, there weren't a lot of people playing billiards. There were a fair number of people playing cards, whether it be poker, bridge, gin rummy, or backgammon. Bowler Michael Cavanaugh remembers those card games and the era's three martini lunches very well. 
He was a newly minted resident in 1972, working in the Penobscot building for Northwestern Mutual and attending U of D Law School while living in his parents' Grosse Point home. A wonderful guys down here that I met, Don Dykstra, Lee Shaneth, you know, he was uh, from the Gale Electric and he was actually the pilot of their uh, you know, Unlimited. Ken Ather, he's a really well-known guy down here and Joe Paulus uh, joined about that time, I think, and he was one of the great bowlers down here. You know, he was in banking and he owned bowling alleys. He was kind of like a pro almost, mm -hmm. and but just a real gentleman. I mean, they don't get any nicer, you know, than, than Joe Paulus. Eddie Wagner managed the lanes back then. Kavanaugh says Wagner was the first DAC bowling manager to roll a 300 game. Eddie was a... Uh, Kind of like a, a pool hall manager. He was with smoke, kind of that demeanor. He kind of ran things with an iron fist, you know. So I know uh, when John Delore came in, he was he had to make a lot of changes, you know, and record keeping and a lot of things, you know, which had to be improved. And John was, uh, you know, here for quite a few years, too. He's quite a character, too. Thanks, Mr. Kavanaugh, and thanks to all the members who shared their recollections for this episode of Heard in the Lobby, the official podcast of the Detroit Athletic Club. It's been a total blast. We are grateful for the production expertise of Tim Kiska, Bob Kosky, and Eric Kiska of the Detroit History Podcast team. Special thanks to Aaron Hill of the DAC Catering and Special Events Unit, who always makes room for us. And thanks to Ben Mangus for his ongoing guidance and support. Heard in the Lobby is a production of the DAC Communications Department. I'm your host, Kim Solarski. Talk to you soon. <laughs>